So for the last seven or eight, nine weeks, we've been talking about got milk, about the sincere milk of the Word of God, sincere. And we've spent seven or eight weeks on really about three words. And that's just the kind of way that I operate, and you know that. But the idea this morning about the sincere work of the milk of God, it means that it's not corrupted, it's not diluted, it's not capitalized. It's a word that bartenders would use in Corinthians. He says, I have never corrupted the word of God. I have never mingled the water with the wine. It's been the straight thing. It's been, it's been unfeigned. It's, it's been pure. And we talked about this, that, that as babies, when they come out of their mother's womb, they said, we can hold up on the pictures and we can hold up on the autographs. I just really need something from mom. And I don't need 1%, 2% or skim. I need a real thing. I'm trying to get fat in this diaper. And the church that we're so opposite of that, we, we, have, we have substituted the whole word of the word of the whole milk of the word of God that we want 1%, 2% and skim milk because we really want to look thin and trim to appealing to the word. And you should be interested in getting fat in the word. Turn to somebody and say, boy, your belly is sticking out. I'm telling you. I'll tell you, your belly's sticking out. If you stay in this church more than two weeks, your belly will be sticking out. So the idea of this milk, got milk, and, and then we went from one thing to the other. And, and so we, we, we went to this, this concept of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And, and, and we've been talking about the apostles' doctrines. And there was four things in this verse that we have built upon and we will build upon for the next year is they continued, which was the disciples. Proscatero was the word continue, means to be addicted to opium. They were addicted to heroin. They become so addicted to these four things. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking in bread, and prayers. Now, this is what I want to say to you, and I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but when you understand this word continued or devoted or addicted, it's not just having a casual beer every once in a while. When you're hooked on meth, you're hooked on meth. You just can't take it or leave it. You will sell your wife's clothes and your children's shoes to get a fix. And you don't have to say amen or I've been there or I'm there now, but for anybody who's been there, you understand it's more than just an occasional sip of, of champagne and wine. You can't get loose from it. So the Apostle Paul uses this word about being addicted to opium because heroin came from there, or opium was a poppy seed. It's, very, it's a very common word, been around for thousands of years. He said they become so addicted to four things, the church. They, they become addicted to the apostles' doctrine. And we found out that, first of all, the apostles' destruction to the apostles' doctrine was, Acts chapter 1, verse 22, is that the actual word that was recited by Jesus, and to be an apostle, you had to fill these two requirements. You had to be there, an eyewitness at his baptism, to hear the voice of God, and you had to be an eyewitness of his resurrection. So we've been discussing the apostles' doctrine. It's not secondhand information. I'm telling you right now, we need to get back as far as the church. We're not trying to hype you up. We're not trying to rev you up. I'm trying to give you the word of God that will build you up. And it, may, it won't prevent things from happening to you. It'll keep you from folding like a, a bad lawn chair. So the second one last week, we talked about fellowship. Ah, fellowship. And, and for an hour, not today because it's Mother's Day, but for an hour, we talked about fellowship. So the idea about fellowship is basically, it's very simple, that we felt like that what these people were about to face, we learned last week, was great persecution. They needed more than just power. 
I was raised in the assembly of God all my life, and I appreciate that, all that. But I will tell you, these people in Acts chapter 2, they got the power, but what they were about to face, and we went step by step through Acts chapter 9, what they were about to face, and it was ridicule, mocking, and then it went to teasing, and then it went to beating, then it went to imprisonment, and then it went to murder. And I will tell you, we still live in a society that still hates the apostles' doctrine. They love watered-down stuff. They love skim stuff. They like to take bits and pieces of the Word and, and, and attach it to whatever they're going through to legalize it. But I'll tell you, we still live in a world that hates the apostles' doctrine or they are hostile to the words of Jesus Christ that's not diluted. Ask me how I know. I'm glad you asked. Because the last 15 years I've been taking a beating because I, you know this. I stick to the apostles' doctrine. And you can have that other stuff because I'll tell you, it won't do you any good anyway. So the idea is this. They needed more than just power. They got the power, but they needed a plan. You may have power today, but I will tell you, you need a plan. And, and as in football, this is the deal. Can we just execute what we agreed to in the huddle? What we agreed to in the huddle, like 15 seconds ago, we go, hey, can, can, can we carry that out? Can you imagine a quarterback going to the huddle in, in the Super Bowl and say, listen, guys, just everybody do what feels good. <laughs> and if the Spirit moves you to run down the field, just run. Everybody run. Just, just do what you need to do. If you need to go in the concession, get you some popcorn, go. Just, I mean, can you imagine that happening? Oh, you might as well lighten up. I'm, you're only going to be here for an hour and a half. And, and so the idea, that they had the power, they had the enthusiasm, they had the boorah, but they needed a plan. And here was the plan. They said, here's the plan. If we're going to survive this thing and overcome this thing, we've got to be addicted to the teachings of Christ. We've got to be addicted one to another. We've got to be addicted to breaking bread and prayers. And hopefully before we all get on Social Security, I'll finish this series. <laughs> you really, I don't care what Fleetwood Mac says, you really can't go your own way. Now, they made a million dollars off that, but really, their lives is indicative of going your own way. Can we have a plan here? Can we have a plan? Just say yes. Can we have a plan? Can we carry out what we agreed to in the huddle? I mean, we agreed on Sunday that we're going to get together and we're going to follow the apostles' doctrine, the instructions of Jesus, no matter what. Can we please carry that out during the week? Can we do that? Can we not jump off sides and run your own route? And I'll bring you to my office for like three hours. What are you doing? I thought we agreed on Sunday we're going to do it together. Well, I know, but I just, I had an unction. Well, it was a devil. So can we just go back to agreeing with the words of Christ? And these people said, what, what should I read in the Bible? Here's the great thing. If you don't want to read, get your red letter King James and read everything in red and do it and you'll be good. And if you have other questions, come see me. I'll help you in that. So fellowship. So we covered a lot last week. Fellowship is a messy business because we're dealing with a lot of, of, of a messy bunch. Okay? So you kind of heard some of this last week, but I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to kind of overlay this. So fellowship, fellowship, koinonia, it's, 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 it's a messy business. Coming to church, dealing with church people is a messy business. Thank you for your honesty. This section over, well, we got some visitors. This section over here is a messy bunch. And they're most of them, half of them are gone. It's a messy business because it's a messy bunch. Matter of fact, 
Remember, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 4, verses 18. Jesus said his first sermon, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've been anointed. Hallelujah. I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, and to recover the side of the blind, and to set at liberty of those that are bruised. These are the bullet points he's telling them in advance. These are the people that I'm about to fellowship with. They're not good bodies. They're not perfect. They're not preachers. They're not clergies. They're not anything like that. These bullet points are this. First of all, I'm dealing with poor, and the poor is always saying, I don't have anything, so what can you do for me? The brokenhearted, you're dealing with people whose lives are always in pieces, always need an assembly. He's about to deal with captive individuals who are bound by some type of habit or addiction. You can fill in the blank. Blind, they have no peripheral vision. They only see themselves, and they're oppressed, and they're always negative. They're always defeated, and they're always ashamed. He said, Jesus said, the reason why God has anointed me is because I'm about to go right in the middle of a people just like this. And if you're wondering sometimes why God anoints you, he's not anointed you to give you fluff and stuff. He's anointed you because you're about to go to work with somebody that is the Antichrist's mother. And you come to church and you get goosebumps and feelings. And you go, yeah, that's good news. And you walk into hell Monday morning and you go, well, God, what are you trying to do? He said, I was trying to prepare you Sunday for Monday. And Jesus is telling them, listen, God's anointed me because I'm about to get in fellowship with people who's always saying, I have nothing. I need you to give me something. I need this. I'm poor. I'm ashamed. I'm broke. My life's in pieces and so on and so forth. If you ever wonder what the anointing of God is really out about, it's about this. It's because you're about to go in a world, come tomorrow, there's people that's poor, they're captive, they're blind, and they're oppressed. And you need the anointing of God in your life to deal with those people. And watch this. And you need it to deal with the person you're sitting beside. So why does God anoint us? Same way with Jesus. He's telling you, I'm about to get in fellowship. And is it true? Is it true through the scriptures? That's the people he associated himself with? Because he said, the whole need not a physician, only they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but I come to call the sinners unto repentance. We've got this so wrong. This church, the church, what we do here, it's okay. Who cares what we do here? We're to honor God and worship God with sincerity. But I tell you, what matters is what we do outside here. We've got, it's the temple money. Remember the temple money? The temple money, what made him so mad? Because it was called funny money. It could only be used in the temple. It's like a tokens at Aladdin Castle. And sometimes churches like that, I mean, what we do here is secret. It should not be a secret. The currency of what the church should be doing is not in here, is what impact we're making outside the church. It's not funny money. Oh, that stuff will only work in church. Well, listen, if it only work in church, then it's really not of God. That'll sink in in the middle of the night, then you'll hit somebody and say, hey, that was right. So fellowship this morning, and so as we begin, remember what I told you? This is, I, I, I told you this, and I didn't deal with this, but it's Proverbs 14, 4 says this. It's called the New Living Translation. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. <laughs> now, the King James says, where there's no oxen, the oxen is clean. So do you understand the more oxen we get in the church, the more shovels and high waders we need? the more anointing you need to deal with people. But, but look at the rest of this verse. But you need strong oxen for a large harvest. 
So this is what I want to say to you before you lose me and you go to sleep. Even though that we may be a messy bunch, and even though that we may have problems, but this is the deal. There's a huge harvest that awaits us, and we're going to need one another. I said we're going to need one another. And we're not going to agree on everything. I'm not trying to preach uniformity here. I'm trying to, trying to preach unity. Unity is peas and carrots and, and, and by, in, a, in a bowl of soup. Uniformity is peas and carrots and put them in a blender. You can be you. And, 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 and you can look like you. But I'll tell you right now, we need you. Because there's a harvest that needs to be brought in. And, and, and I, I, I want to encourage you right now, it's okay. We own a daycare here, and I will tell you, when they bring babies here, we're not shocked when something comes out of the back end of them. We say, oh, did you know that this child still poops in his britches? Well, that, we can't deal with that. We're prepared for that. Listen, God has a lot of diapers and a lot of wipes to deal with you. Just come on. Somebody said, well, the church full of hypocrites. There's room for one more. Come on. Just come on. So where there's no oxen in the stall, the stall is clean. But listen, we need you. We need your fellowship. And that's why we're here this morning. So, lastly, remember we talked about fellowship as koinonia, where we get for currency, coin, commonness. It's a word where we talked about last week. It said that our witness enhances our witness. So koinonia is where we get a word for coin, but we'll deal with that. Are we there? Yeah. So first of all, the four questions, what is fellowship? So it's koinonia. It means, it, means, it means a sense of a commune. Some of you in the 60s child knows what that means. They practiced it. They sold everything they had, and, and they had a commune among the disciples. They gave it away. Every need was met. But when you kind of get into this framework of fellowship, your witness enhances a witness. When people can see that we are together, it empowers our witness. And we dealt with this last week. Just don't go around prating that, that oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jesus freak and I'm a Jesus fan. They say, well, you go to church. Well, I don't go there because there are too many hypocrites. That really is not going to set well with people. Amen? So, so we found this out. Our witness enhances our witness. And also the word quantity is where we get a word for coin, of course, coin. And by this definition, fellowship or coin where we get them for communion or currency, it means that having fellowship, it adds worth and value to your life. I don't know about you, but I want to ask you a specific question. Have you ever been a time in your spiritual walk where you were really broke? I got two mints in that pocket. That's for my grandkids. I mean, just broke. And isn't it wonderful? I mean, when you're broken spirit and broken heart and broken mind and just broke, and you come to church and that old guy back there, a loud guy with a Dallas Cowboy shirt on, will grab you in a bear hug and he said, and he wants to kiss you, but I won't even kiss me. And he said, I'm glad you're here. You know what he's done? He stuck currency in my pocket. You know what he's told me? I'm worth something. I'm worth something. There's some people that, that is so broke that they don't even want to go to church because the people, the guy behind the podium or whatever he does, he's in the business of beating you down. I'm trying to tell you this morning, if you're broke as Jesus said in the Beatitude, the first thing he said, blessed are those that are broke. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. The Greek word is bankrupt. <laughs> I'm bankrupt. I don't have no credit. I can't get credit if I need to get credit. 
And Jesus said, you're blessed because the kingdom of heaven is yours. See, fellowship is, is a very vital in this church. And, and, and even with everybody gone, I appreciate their, what their fellowship, it means this. The more that we can fellowship, the more currency that we put in one another's lives. And I'm sure people told you you're worth nothing. You don't mean anything. You don't mount to anything. And people spend all week long telling you how horrible you are. But when you come in the back door or the front door or the side door, wherever you come in, for someone sitting beside you and say, you know what? I, I haven't told you lately, but I love you, and I'm just so glad you're in my life. That puts currency in our heart. Agree? And, and, and I forbid you, if you just sit there, people that are needing a little bit of spiritual, financial help along the way. That's what fellowship's all about. So why is fellowship so important? Second question. There's four, but we're going to deal with this and go home. So why is fellowship so important? So if you've been here long enough, this is very important because it has everything to do with your spiritual growth and development. Um, Psalms chapter 107, verse 23. The King James says that they that go down into the sea into ships, they do business in great waters or deep waters. The analogy here, he said, those people that make their living going into, they're in the fishing industry, that they do their business in deep waters. Deep waters. The deeper the waters, the clearer the water. I'm a cruise guy. I love to cruise. The deeper the waters, the clearer the water. But he said they do their business in deep waters. And so... They that go in ships. So we've talked about there are four ships that we do business in, is in ministry. Four ships. This has nothing to do with what I'm about to finish, but you need to know this. These four ships signify or represent four stages of the believer's growth and development. You're in one of these ships. The first one is, there's four of them, workmanship. That's not there yet. The greater the water, the deeper the water, the bigger the boat. Have you ever saw Jaws? Famous immortal words, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Okay? So first of all, workmanship is Ephesians 2 and 10. He says that we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The word workmanship is a Greek word called poema. And poema means where we get a word for poetry, a poem. And by definition, the Greek language, a poem is someone that's expressing their heart or inner emotions. First of all, this is what you need to understand. When you get born again of God, this is workmanship. This is God's idea. This is, this is, this is a one man in a kayak. It's, we, we were supposed to go to Alaska on a cruise, and he got canceled twice. And I kept telling Gala, when we go, we're going to get on a kayak right in the middle of those whales. You seen those whales that come up here? And she said, you're going by yourself. <laughs> a kayak is a one-man boat. And, 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 and I appreciate the pictures. You understand? This is calm waters. This is, for, this is just for entertainment around the bank. When you get born again, some of you are, 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 are saying, what does this got to do with Mother's Day? Absolutely nothing. When, when, when you get into a kayak, it's got to be in calm waters. It's got to be in shallow waters. But it's a one-man boat. It's just you and you. Me and Jesus. Got our own thing going. That's an old song. I understand. 
But the idea, it, it, it has to be, get past just you and Jesus. So when he says that you are created in his workmanship, or we are creation of his workmanship, it means that, that God, it's his poetry. We, as the, as the people of God, watch this, we are God's poema. We are God's poetry. We are the expression and the inner thoughts of God's heart. And before you trash my daughter-in-law, and before you trash Sister Louise, and before you get on to the Dallas Cowboy cheerleader back there, you better understand this verse. These men and women are the expressed image and heartbeat and thoughts of God. And you'll be like Job. You'll say, mm, I said too much. So, poema or ortmanship is just, it's just, it's just one, it's just, it's just you. The next one is fellowship. The next ship, fellowship. And fellowship is more than just you. And so we're going to go out a little further. And I don't know, we have a book. It's to have multiple with you. I don't know, four, five, six, I don't know, seven. We've been talking about Gilligan's Island and, 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 yeah, the SS Middle there. <laughs> three hour tour, three. And, and, and so we can go a little deeper. And then the next one, of course, is discipleship. And the last one is what we refer to as stewardship. It's the big one. So if you'll hang around here long enough, I'll teach you what all four of these mean. Because these are the ships that we do business. And I want to tell you right now, when you get to stewardship, I'll tell you, you're unstoppable. You can endure 50-foot waves. But some of you are still on that kayak business and a little bit of wind is capsizing you. I understand. We, you just got to get in a bigger boat if you're going to go in deeper waters. And I got news for you. I'm taking you into deeper waters. And you better learn to swim or you better learn to get in the boat because that kayak business ain't going to do in 50-foot waves. So fellowship is so important to that. These one of the four fellowships. As he said, when we do our business, we do business in ships designed to go in deeper waters. How many are saved besides me? Just say amen. How many would like to go out where you really, really, really had never been before and just have to trust God? Thank you. You're, I was going to say you're all lying. I mean, that's a hard deal. But I'll tell you, in bigger boats, it's good. It's bigger boats, it's good. And all the cruises that we've been on, we've been out there in two miles of water and wind 25 feet high, and I'll tell you, a kayak will not last a second. But in that vessel, it's designed for deeper waters. What God is doing to you, watch this. He's doing something on the inside of you and the outside. He's preparing you for deeper waters. He's, he's preparing you for deeper and harder challenges and greater challenges and, and deeper resistance. God's doing something in your life. God just doesn't want you to, to run around on the shore in a one-man inner tube or a one-man kayak. The big fish are out in deep waters. Amen. So as we go in fellowship, that God is, is developing a bigger vessel for us to go in, to go in deeper waters. And that's, and that's the heartbeat of God this morning, really. Now, I wrote this in here. In fellowship, our motives are more important than just our motion. Some of you have been here long enough that we know that, that Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 is referred to the, 
what we refer to as the Olivet Discourse in the New Testament to the front. We, we say the Beatitudes, but these are the words of Jesus. Matthew 5 deals with the motion. Matthew 6 deals with the method. Matthew 7 deals with the motive. And if you don't know that, you, you've heard me talk about these three chapters. They're in chronological order. What we do, how we do them, and why we do them. In fellowship, our motives are just are more important than just our motion. So here, here's a quick story before we kind of finish this thing in fellowship. So Jesus goes to Mount Transfiguration. It's not Mount Transfiguration. The word transfiguration is called metamorphosis, where there's a changing involved. The mountain is not called Mount Transfiguration, of course. So he goes and he takes the three stooges with him because they are stooges. And they get up there and say dumb things. And, and, and he wants to reveal his glory. And the first thing they want to do is build tabernacles, the, these other men. So he, so he starts down the mountain. He's been gone for a little bit. And he sees this great crowd going on. I mean, they've got a ruckus. I mean, it looked like a sales at Sears. I mean, it's, there's people going everywhere. And, and he said, what's going on? And, 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 and the, other, the other eight disciples said, well, we got a dilemma here. Kind of like Barney Five locked everybody in jail when Andy was gone. I mean, we got a dilemma here, Ange. And Jesus said, what's the deal? He said, we've got a boy that's possessed by a devil. We prayed for him. We, we casted out demons. We did all this thing. And still, he's foaming at the mouth, gnashing the teeth, throwing himself in the fire. And Jesus just walks over and says something that says, come out of him. And the boy just perks up. And you know it had to hurt their pride. Because you know, I mean, Clint, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you right now, they, are, they were signing autographs. I'm going to tell you right now. Oh, Jesus is gone, but I'm in charge. Oh, yeah, I've been with him for three years. Oh, yeah, anything you need to know, I heard him say, just get it from me, you know. So it hurt your feelings a little bit. So, so this is the verse. When, when Jesus brings this demon out of this boy in just a split, and Jesus doesn't make a big deal of it, he just walks and watches this. And when they were coming to the house, the disciples, this is three verses later, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast this demon out? Now, notice, in the house. Say, in the house. In the house. They wouldn't dare say that in public. No. No. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I think at the moment, to ask that question, Mike, is that when, when Jesus walks up and lay hands on the child and the child was delivering the demon, that would be the time to say, well, teacher, how come we couldn't do that? They waited where no one was around. So they wait when the crowd left and the circus left and the hoopla left, so they go to the house, and now one of them had the courage and said, um... How come we couldn't cast that demon out like you did? And three verses later, watch what he said. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? And watch what they said. We were arguing among ourselves. Who is the greatest? So, spoiler alert, there's only one that's great. And when we get in competition with this section and this section and that section and that section and that church and that church and that movement and that TV evangelist, and we get in competition, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Watch this, we ain't gonna see nothing done. 
We're not going to see lives healed, homes healed, finances healed. We're not going to see bodies healed. We're not going to see anything because we're too busy wondering, God, do you love me more than you love Clint? Do you love me? I know you love me more than you love Bill. I mean, but do you love me more than you love me wrong? I mean, I've done all these things. I mean, I got, how many other boys have I accumulated this way? And when you'll forget that mentality and just say this, there's only one that's great. And that's King Jesus. And when that's our mindset and that's our concept, then Jeff, there's no telling what can happen. So the last thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is before church, you were handed a grape. So this represents us in my life and my ability and my talent, my gifting, my good looks, my whatever. Great. This represents you. Agreed? But hold up your grape and say, this grape is me. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, please. Right here, please, sir. So if these grapes represent us, we're all here. Fellowship. We're all good. We're all at church Sunday. But the Bible says the Lord added to the church such as those are being saved. So we're in here. And what happens when we... Oh, sorry about that, Joe. What about when our lives turn upside down? We all go our own way. When it says the Lord added to the church, prostitutomy is a Greek word in two words. The word proskin means to be attached to, addicted to. Tithomy, it means to join. The correct idea of this word, the Lord added to the church, was this. Everyone that was being saved, they stuck together. We can shake them. We can turn them upside down. We can throw them in the rafters. Prostitution means this. No matter what they went through, they stayed connected. Fellowship is more than you just coming in here. Fellowship is more than you just gathering yourself together and we put you in a paper bag. I'm telling you, your life will turn upside down. Your ship will capsize. Your, your, whole, your whole structure, what you thought was normal, will turn upside down. If you're not careful, you'll go your own way. But what happens when the Lord joins us? What happens when the Lord adds to the church? It's just doing more than adding to the church. He's connecting us. And no matter... The Bible said in the book of Hebrews said this, and everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but the things of God will remain. And the Lord connected all the grapes. You're still here. <laughs> You're just connected to the vine. And somebody correct me, isn't this what this is all about anyway? John 15, connected to the vine. My heart and my prayer as we move on in these series is to teach you. 
I'm glad you're here. Turn to somebody that's not a joke and say, I'm glad you're here. But this is more than just you being here. I'm trying to connect to you. I'm trying to get you to stay connected to Christ. And if you'll stay, watch this, if you'll stay connected to the Christ, to the vine, you'll automatically stay connected to that person beside you. So what God is doing in fellowship, He's keeping us connected. And I will tell you as I close this thing, in the last 31 to 32 years I've been here, you have no idea how many times my wife and myself, my brains have been beat out during the week. But every Sunday morning when I make my way to the back, and I see Tom or somebody want to hug my neck or hand me a $100 bill. I encourage that. Anytime that you want to do that, <laughs> he'll always say, I love you, brother. We're one in Christ. We're connected. And it just reinforces my hope in humanity of what God is doing. So how's Julie? Okay. Okay. You that are visiting, you don't know. We, I lost my, almost should have been my sister, Robin, a couple years ago to cancer. Julie has cancer, his daughter. How old is Julie? Mark, I think what we're about to do is, you, you know me, it's, it's, it's just so wonderful that Gary and Ginger is here because it wasn't just a, a short time ago that they walked in the back door. The doctor told Ginger she had cancer. It didn't look good. And I think my exact words to them was this, just stay connected. Don't, don't run. Just stay connected. We're going to cover you. We're going to stay with you. We're going to pray for you. And she's sitting right here with us, cancer-free. And, and I know that's not every Cinderella story ending. I understand that. But I will tell you, Mike, that if you ever need to be connected, you need to be connected to us this morning. And we need to be connected to you. Stand with me if you would, please. Hey, Gary, walk over and just put your hands on Mark, would you? Just lay your hands on him, put your arm around him. Father, we love you. We're in love with you because you're in love with us. And we're going to ask you to do something that only that you can do. We're going to ask you to do the impossible. Would you just heal Julie? Cancer is a word. Cancer is a name. But there's a name that is above all names. 
And we just speak and we breathe. And as Catherine sung, we just speak the word of Jesus in her life. And I pray this morning that this young girl would find life and not death, healing and hope and a future. And I pray for dear old dad this morning that I need him to know he's connected to a family that loves him and his family. And we're going to stay connected. And we're going to see this thing through. And God will give us the victory. Father, thank you this morning for this, the simple things of God's Word. Thank you for teaching us that it's not just about a one-man operation, but you're teaching us to combine our hearts and our motives one with another. We're headed to deeper waters. We want to go places where we've never been before. We want to go somewhere we can't touch bottom. And you're preparing us. And not only are you bringing people into our acquaintances, but you're connecting them to our hearts. Fellowship. So this morning, we want to honor you today. And we want to bless every mother and every mother-to-be and let them know how important they are to our lives. They are the workmanship of God's poetry. You give our lives rhyme and reason as you express your inner thoughts and emotions to a world that needs to know Jesus. It's through us. And for all that you're doing, we just give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. If you believe that, give the Lord a praise offering, huh? Ain't God good? Turn about two people and say, really, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're a part of my life. Huh? I'm not the same without you. I was dog broke till you got around me. Communion service, please come. For you that don't understand this principle, Paul goes through this examination in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, let a man examine himself. And if any man takes this cup or this bread unworthily, he's heaping damnation upon himself. And so I was taught all through the years that, my goodness, I had to review my report card. And I'll tell you, my report card, even as up to yesterday, was full of Fs. Until I understand the Greek language and I understand this. He said, let no man take the communion cup or the bread unworthily. It's a Greek word called inaxios. It means your own worth. There's only one that's worthy. So this morning, we're not asking you to fill out a report card. We're not asking you to summarize your good behavior or your bad behavior. That has nothing to do with anything. We celebrate Holy Communion because Jesus Christ is worthy. He alone. And 2,000 years ago at the cross, and he said basically the same thing, being suspended between heaven and earth. He said, if, if you'll just come, I'll forgive you. You don't have to meet a certain criteria. Just come. And still 2,000 years later, he's still bidding you to come. So that night that he sat with his disciples, and he turned to them and he picked up the bread. And he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating this ordinance of the broken bread. It's the bread of the unleavened. It's the bread of haste that has no sin, no leaven in it. But Jesus said, now then I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. And there's no sin in me. 
and he took it and he broke the bread. Jesus became broken for your brokenness, your broken lives, your broken hearts, your broken homes, your broken dreams. Jesus became broken that you could be whole. And then he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this cup you've been celebrating for 1,500 years, it's the lamb's blood. And the ritual of the lamb's blood that they would take it and apply it to the doorpost in the shape of the cross. But he said, now then, I am the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and my father will take my blood and in the shape of a cross, he'll apply it for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you take this cup, and you partake of this bread, it will remind you of me. So this morning in fellowship, we come once again and poor and empty and that we just need Jesus in our life. Father, we bless this cup and bless this bread. And we just pray that you'll not only connect our lives together, but God will assemble together and move together. In Jesus' name, amen.